because I don't have drums and it's me hitting on my desk and the desk is flimsy and probably sounded terrible with the microphone sitting on top of it. But that noise means I just determined it is the 300th episode of the show before the show from MILB.com and minor league baseball as uh, holy cow. 300 episodes. Uh, my name is Tyler Mon. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. Benjamin Hill is in New York City. Uh, gentlemen, congratulations, I, I guess. I don't know. What, what do we, what is the, for 300 podcast episodes, is it congratulations? Is that something that we should lean on? <laughs> I mean, why not? Like, how often do we get to do, I mean, a podcast now or so self-congratulatory anyways. We're in our tuxedos, again, as always. My Canadian tuxedo. I've got jeans know. and a denim shirt. Wow. You know, I am dressed for the occasion. I'm wearing a shirt that has buttons on it. I mean, that should tell you how. That is an accomplishment in 2020 yeah. slash 2021. Um, I also want to point out as uh, Ben, hi, how are you? Hey, good. Yeah. Um, good to see you. Yeah. I, I think it is an accomplishment that Sam's wearing clothes. I would give him a lot of credit for that <laughs> as well. And um, yeah, I think, you know, to, to get your larger point, it's it's always good to celebrate a, a milestone. You know, we, we all need something to celebrate. And I think milestones... Uh, give someone an opportunity to take a moment and uh, and just be grateful for what has come before and hopeful for what will soon come. And I was thinking of the number 300 and trying to think of like milestones I associate with the um, with the number 300. And really the first thing that came to my mind, you know, I grew up a huge fan of Mad Magazine. Uh, the first one I bought was issue 276. And so I remember when the 300th issue came out and um, you know, of course, it had Alfred E. Newman on it, and it said, you know, next to Alfred E. Newman, it said, the sexiest schmuck alive. And I think today, we are all the sexiest schmucks alive. That is what we've reached in episode 300. I like it. I uh, I do want to do just some, since we're uh, an audio-only format, I just want to point out, so Samuel uh, P. Dykstra, what is Josh called? P.? Is it P that Josh? For some it? reason, he puts P in there. Okay. It is not Samuel, my middle name. Samuel it's P. Dykstra. <laughs> Samuel yeah. P. Dykstra, as the kids call him. I just want to say, Sam's a big fan of the Coen brothers. Um, I finally watched Inside Lewin Davis uh, last oh. week. Great movie. Sam, One of Sam's favorite movies of all time. But I just want to say that as far as quarantine hair goes, Sam is crushing the quarantine hair game. Your hair I is phenomenal. I mean, Ben. Ben has me. Ben's, Ben's is great, also, and Ben's I feel like, like I've shoulder on Ben's before, so I don't want to. I don't want to skimp out on ben. Ben's is great too. My, I hate everything about my hair. I hate everything about my physical appearance. Period. But um, Sam, I did not know until like today. You've got like the there's like the one strand like very moodily drooped down the side of your face. Like it's it's like you're gonna release an album soon. I mean, yes, this is this is an important announcement on episode 300. Uh, no, but like inside Sam P. Dykstra. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm moving to the village and I'm just going to live on the streets for a In couple the weeks. With a cat. Yeah, I mean, that is my dream. That is legitimately my dream, but we can get into that later. Uh, but I, it, honestly, it's just it's been a year to try new things. If we're going to be at home all the time, uh, I've always wondered exactly how long my hair could get. And apparently I have learned that it can go, like, if I were to tie this into a braid in the back, I would just look like a founding father. That's what it's gotten to. to, Like, that's what my hair does. It looks like it's a founding father's wig. Um, That's impressive. That is impressive. eh, We'll see. We'll see how long I'm going to go. Now that you mention it, if your hair was white instead of, uh, 
a luscious brown, you would really look like, you know, John Adams or, uh, or no, John Hancock. That's, that's what I meant. Or um, Samuel Adams. Or Samuel, or Samuel Adams. Adams. I mean, yeah. Samuel no P. joke. My, my dad, uh, shout out to my dad. My dad has white hair and has had white hair since he was, I think, 28 or 29, which always made me worried. Like, I'm now 30. I'm past his age. I don't have white hair yet. But I was always worried that it was just going to right. erupt like glorious fire. But his joke on my mom's side of the family, they all called him George after George Washington, <laughs> just because he had the luscious white hair. So maybe that's my future. You know, it's like the army. Our dads do look very similar. I remember one time uh, I posted a picture on Instagram um, that I, my whole family in, and my dad was in it. And you commented, I was going to ask you how you got this picture with my dad. <laughs> you posted a picture of your dad, and I was like, man, he really does look like my dad. Uh, so someday, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll have a uniting of the of the very George Washington looking fathers that we have. Um, ben, what's your hair? When you go out, what's the do you tie it back sometimes? What's the, the situation with the Ben Hill hair? This is no, going to be the whole 300th episode, by the way. We're just going to talk about their hair. Yeah. A milestone is a chance to be indulgent. That's uh, <laughs> what it's about. Um, no, I never put my hair in a ponytail. I never really have. Although sometimes I play handball. And um, ah. a couple times I put my hair in a, hand, in a ponytail for handball because, you know, when you're playing handball or like moving around, even if you're wearing a hat, you know, and I'm illustrating this visually right now, but you can imagine it. My hair just gets all over my face as I'm moving around. But I don't like ponytails, and a lot of that is, um, you know, I think a stereotype I've just had since I was a youth uh, about who men in ponytails are. Right, you can't right. trust them. You just can't trust them. And um, I always had just sort of chafed against the notion that I would wear a ponytail in any way, shape, or form. So I have for athletic purposes on occasion, but in general, I just wear a hat every day, and I don't really do anything with my hair at all. And people compliment it, compliment me on it all the time. And I am confident that if I did not have hair this long, people would have nothing to say about my physical appearance, positive or negative, just very nondescript. So I think the only thing saving me from complete mediocrity and anonymity as regards my physical appearance is having this long hair. So, um, hey, we have something to talk about right now. If I cut this hair, we wouldn't even be able, we wouldn't be talking about me. Here we are in an audio medium and all we can talk about is how I look. That's how impactful it is. <laughs> We're just a couple of podcasting Samsons is what we are. If you cut our hair, we would be nobody. This is my favorite episode of the show already. I just want you all to know. Um, I, uh, yeah, my hair is terrible. My beard is that for me. People, oh, you grow a great beard. That's it for me. Other than that, it's like when people compliment my hair, they do it in a way that's like, oh, God bless him. He's trying. You know, it's one of those things of like, he's 170 years old and he's probably going to go soon, but he got out of bed today. Like that's the way people talk about my hair. As Southern folk would say, Tyler, bless your hair. Exactly. Bless your hair, essentially. Um, so now that we've got all that covered for the 300th episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball, we welcome you into this milestone episode. Uh, we do have a, a very good interview coming up a little while later. It's a, a Sam Dykstra joint, Samuel P. Dykstra joint, with Max Meyer, the Miami Marlins organization. Uh, Sam and Max chatted earlier today. We're recording this on Thursday the 18th. We'll hear that coming up here in a little bit. Um, but we really just want to talk a lot about where we have been with this show and uh, and where we are right now and where we're headed as we get closer and closer now, about six weeks away from the start of the 2021 minor league season at AAA, AA, high A, and low A. Um, this is so crazy to look back on because we started this thing in March of 2015. Um, there was uh, an original 
co-host to this show, the show before the show, like the dude who was in the Beatles and then ended up not being in the Beatles uh, or like Giovanni Ribisi when he broke his arm in that thing you do and ended up not being the drummer and Tom Everett Scott took over. Um, that was Jake Siner, who is now with the Associated Press, uh, our, our good pal, Jake. And uh, when, when Jake departed, took his job with the AP, Sam came along. Ben has been part of the show since day one, since episode one. Um, this has been... I, if you would have told me what is the world going to be like when you hit 300 episodes, I have no idea what I would have said. Uh, but it is, it's definitely been very interesting. Ben, I want to go to you because we started this show knowing Ben's going to be a big component of this. We're going to have a, a segment for Ben every week. We're going to talk about business. We're going to talk about promotions, all that. What do you remember about when we first got this thing started? Um, what the, I think the very first episode, maybe not the very first, but one of the first episodes I ended up being in New York. We all did the, the podcast uh, in a conference room together, me and you and Jake and Sam came in for an interview. Um, but what do you remember about those very early ones? Yeah. Um, not knowing what we're doing, which I think is the case when you start anything new. Um, and for a long time, not just in the very beginning, but for a long time, you know, I would do these um, segments with Sam and we always made a point to say what conference room we were in, in the Chelsea market. Right. And uh, you know, when I think about um, these early episodes, I think of being in the Chelsea market. So a not have we, we have not been in any office for the last year, but B uh, we moved from the Chelsea market uh, after 2019. So there's been kind of the being in the Chelsea market feels kind of double removed right now. And uh, we were in that place for a long time. You know, I started part-time at the company in 2005. And so a lot of memories are tied up in the Chelsea market. And a lot of those are related uh, in that 2015, 2016 period of being in just various conference rooms uh, all throughout the Chelsea market. Um, you know, the company grew a lot, MLB advanced media, you know, just, plain old MLB. It's, it's been a complicated, uh, it's always been complicated, just uh, all the different relationships and all the different departments and uh, minor league baseball coverage and what we're doing. And it just got bigger and bigger and bigger because the company uh, you know, grew in different ways, uh, different employees. And that's just a rambling way to say that conference rooms became harder and harder to come by. And so a lot of the, the when I think of doing the podcast, I think of it being hard to get a conference room and then hoping that we got one that didn't have uh, too much external noise and, you know, had some, you know, it wasn't like, like oppressively hot. And um, a lot of there the, wasn't somebody scheduled segments, 20 minutes yeah, after like, you started. I remember that was always a thing where you guys were like, okay, we have this one until one fifteen, and then we have to leave and we have another one starting at one thirty. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, moving like in mid segments and um, and just yeah, the, the so much of the process seeming to be about like spinning the roulette wheel of uh, the Chelsea Market uh, conference room availability. <laughs> that is uh, as what I think of. And if you're listening to this, the Chelsea Market is on 15th Street and 9th Avenue in Manhattan. That's uh, where our offices were for a long time. The ground floor is the Chelsea Market, and it became a huge tourist destination. Um, and uh that you know that we were kind of jerks but as we worked there for a long time it was um you know it was, it was hard not to be a little disdainful of all the tourists who were just in front of the building in the hallways standing in front of the elevators getting on the elevators because they thought that like the whole building was their oyster and in fact the oysters were at the seafood market and nowhere else so <laughs> it yeah i guess the chelsea mark is a whole nother level of reminiscing but hey it's an indulgent milestone episode it and is. uh I think of the podcast and I think of the Chelsea market and, uh, you know, and I give you, look, 
I've done a segment on the show since, you know, Sam before, hey, before you even on the show. But that said, you know, a lot of times I've just showed up. You guys have been the ones on, uh, you know, Tyler on the production end and both of you and, you know, Sam, a, a huge portion of the time, uh, you know, setting up those interviews, doing all these segments, really doing the uh, the work, um, you know, has really been the main reason behind this that, that we're even talking on 300. So it's been a great thing to be a part of. I I see a lot of future for this podcast and, and just minor league baseball material in general. It's a strange era, transitional era, but I, I see a positive future. But, you know, to get this far, I mean, I think um, as much as, you know, I'm a celebrity, I have the best hair, you know, greatest uh, Q score. Is it the is it Q score, score yeah, or something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah. You know, hey, got to take credit where credit's due, but I also have to give credit where credit's due. And you guys did, you know, most of the work. I'm just a celebrity who showed up and took the credit. <laughs> Sam, uh, when we started the show, like I said, it was me and Jake. And uh, I know very early on, like maybe it even was episode one, we had you on, we had you on several times. So it was kind of a no brainer uh, that you were going to take over as co-host when we got this thing um, moved past the initial chapter, RIP Jake, um, who is totally healthy and happy and married and works for the AP. Um, The uh, next stage that we entered when you came on and took over, um what do you remember about first off when we started it and then when you came into the mix as being uh you know the brains of the operation as i'm gonna deem well, I, I don't know about that but um what i what i remember honestly i have this very vivid memory that, of to show you how little i knew about the act of podcasting like i know what podcasts are i listen to them every week i've done that for a while now but um i have this very vivid memory of this was just a moment of this is how much you don't know was being on with you and Jake. And it was one of those times where I think you were in studio, but I had to share a mic with Jake and I was explaining something. It might've been like how the super two deadline worked. That, that was basically my job in, in the early days it was like, Oh, you had an interesting tool shed this, this week. Come on. We'll ask you two questions about it. You'll be out in five minutes. But Jake like tapped the microphone to be like, you're not talking into the microphone. You're having a conversation <laughs> with us, but you're not speaking into the device that allows everyone else to hear you. And it was just like, oh, that's right. The, the whole point of this is to get our message out. Um, and I knew that, but it, the great thing about podcasting that I, I really enjoy is that it's just a conversation between us every week. There, there is an audience there and we'll get to that in a second. Um, but the thing I like about this is that it's, it's just so much easier to talk about this stuff with people you know enjoy it, which is you and Ben and, and Josh and Kelsey we've had on and our entire staff and anytime we come on. It's not like this big pressure-packed concept. Like, yeah, there, there's a part of me that gets nervous for interviews sometimes still, like I am human. Um, but the bulk of the, the podcast every week is just talking about minor league baseball, which I love with my friends. And the more and more time I've spent with it, the more and more I realize that's what this is. And uh, what I've loved about the last six years is seeing people buy into that and gravitate towards that. And, you know, I, I put out as we were starting here, um, uh, a question of like, hey, does anybody have questions for us? You know, it's 300 episodes, we'll, we'll take whatever questions you get. And, we got a couple of responses and, th- and there was one that's like, who's your favorite listener? But the idea that like a bunch of different names popped into my head when I heard that is awesome to me because uh, there were there's a small part of me that's always like, are people listening? 
but I know people are because people do bring back things. Um, they, they recall episodes we've had in the past. Um, Tim Dillard, we talked about him retiring the other day. Uh, somebody said, oh, you should have him on the podcast. And I was like, yeah, no, we have years ago. And they're like, oh no, I remember that. But I, I want you guys to have him again. Maybe we will. But uh, the idea that people can recall what we did 90 episodes ago is crazy to me. And I love that. And I love that other people love the Meyer Leagues as much as we do and are willing to join us for those conversations each week. Um, so just, just thinking about where, you know, where I was when we started this, and I'm still probably the same way. Like you might be listening at home and being like, Sam got quiet. It's probably because I leaned away from the microphone. Uh, but yeah, just, that, just realizing what this podcast is, what it can be, um, and what we've done now for six years has been so, so fun to watch and be a part of. Ben, for your time um, covering the minor leagues, obviously so much has changed just in the, the way that all sports are covered, but you've been able to grow along with uh, MILB.com and, you know, now we're, we're all doing some stuff on Pipeline as well. And the coverage um, breadth and depth in uh, all kinds of different media outlets when it comes to the minor leagues is so much grander than what it was uh, even when we started the show. But, you know, dating back to, you and I first met in 2011 uh, when you were on a road trip through the Carolina league and I was working there. Um, what stands out to you most, you know, I guess, obviously for our purposes for the podcast, kind of between 2015 and now. Uh, but even if you want to go back further than that in your career, what stands out most about the way coverage of the minor leagues has evolved? Um, the, the world that you inhabit on the, on the business side has evolved. What are the things that really stick out to you in that regard? Yeah, in terms of minor league baseball, I mean, I think a lot of it is just the story of how media has evolved, you know, in that in that time period. Um, you know, minor league baseball, maybe there's been more evolution just because, I mean, sure, people have written about minor league baseball, sports writers, I'm sure, for as long as minor league baseball has been around, well over 100 years. Um, but because there was no website that covered the entirety of it until 2005, MILB.com, um, you know, that's a pretty late starting point for the first instance of comprehensive coverage, not just online, but really in any format. It's not like before that there was a minor league baseball magazine or newspaper or listserv or anything. Um, so I think a just lot- to, Just real quick, just so people might be yelling at their mics, like Baseball America did exist, but it was mostly prospects. Like the, the idea of bringing what Ben does and that- whole umbrella wide didn't really exist until the site started. So anyway. Yeah, 100% Baseball America, and I'm sure a lot of other sources, you could find information on the minor leagues and some prospect analysis, certainly, you know, some stat stats and standings. But I mean, a, uh, yeah, of course, so, something that really brought everything under the umbrella, you know, what were then and for a long time, you know, 16 leagues, all these teams, um, how the teams operate. Um, I keep using the word holistic lately. I don't know if I'm even using it right, but that's what I feel, you know, like a holistic approach, not just, um, you know, kind of cherry picking various facets, but uh, trying to create the whole thing. So, you know, that's really been what my career has been in a way is kind of going into this relatively unprecedented uh, sports landscape and finding a niche and, and, and having it grow. And I think with, uh, you know, the podcast, I think it's a lot of ways that podcasts have grown you know, just in, in, in the media at large. But I think a lot of it is for so long, the only way to get out information was in an article. And then 
And that's how I started. You know, you had to write an article for the website and then there was blogs and then you could maybe be a little informal, maybe get more information out in a less formal way. And then all of a sudden people aren't really going to the blog as much and you're sharing that information on you know Twitter and various social media channels and it's even more bite-sized. And in a way that's great, the way we can keep dis disseminating information in new ways. But what I like about this podcast and podcasting in general is it in a way while things got more and more bite-sized in the way that people consume their information, this is a format that allows it to then sort of get large again. And in, where people, they're reading, um, you know, their atten attention spans reading, and I'm just speaking very generally, um, you know, people are just less and less likely to read a long article or to digest long chunks of information. But for whatever it is, uh, the way people listen to podcasts, uh, you know, whether they're working out, you know, going on walks, driving in cars, uh, you know, just sort of in the background during a, a low key work day, whatever the case is, people have so much more patience. So in a lot of ways, I found that um, you can draw more attention to the writing, but in a lot of the case, I don't want to say it replaces the writing, but it, it's a forum for an attention span when it seemed like everything was going in the opposite direction in terms of just finding ways to get information out in the quickest, most ha gotcha attention span you know right away uh sort of way so i really enjoyed that aspect that says hey we can stretch this out we can talk about this on the podcast if i wrote about something you might not have seen it or maybe said oh i'll read that later and didn't but then find yourself interested you know in hearing about it um or hearing someone who was in the article being interviewed or whatever the case may be so um i really like that aspect of podcasting and yeah it can get indulgent i mean case in point this episode but i love that there's people who are willing to ride and I think there's a lot of, you know, for all the self-deprecating jokes about it being indulgent, um, it feels like a community and people get on board with it and um, are willing to give their attention spans in, in ways where I feel, um, you know, grateful. And I want to see how this continues in that regard in terms of being able to tell stories um, in a more comprehensive way and, and gain an audience that you might not be able to get through the printed word. Max Myers coming up in a little bit, um, but before we move on to that, and Sam and I will talk about some news and uh, and some other items at the end of the show this time around. But uh, before we get to those things, I want to leave you guys with both uh, answering this question. Um, and Sam, I'll spin it to you first. The thing you're most excited about moving into 2021 and beyond, we're obviously in an era of minor league baseball that's so different, so much has changed. Um, the the structure, what level teams are, are uh, inhabiting currently, who they're affiliated with, all those sorts of things. What excites you most uh, about the future for this season and for the, the podcast and for the site and moving forward? Honestly, this is going to be a very basic answer, but it's just talking about real baseball games again. And just that feeling of never taking any of this for granted ever again. Um, speaking strictly from a podcast format, the idea of we did this show now for a year from our homes with no minor league baseball technically happening. And yet we were able to show you each week that there were still minor league things happening, whether it was talking to prospects, what they were working out, how they were working out, what they were preparing for. I'll always bring up the Tyler Stevenson episode in terms of him talking about hitting into his neighbor's cage. And then he homered for his first major league hit. Like you heard about that here first. Uh, and now what, what's going to happen when we can kind of carry that football forward again, we're no longer just kind of not that we've ever stayed the same or, or been running in our tracks, but um, the idea of there actually being minor league baseball games to talk about, it's just so exciting again. And, and taking, not just everything that we've learned about prospects in the last year and um, getting to see them play actual games again, but 
from a business side, and, and I'm sure Ben might touch on this a little bit, but seeing how they take what they learned from the pandemic in terms of what excites fans the most, what, what are some crazy ideas that you needed to do basically to survive 2020, and now you're going to use them at the ballpark. Like, what are teams going to do that, that way? Um, I know teams are just starting to come out with promo schedules now and, and that whole deal, but there's just so much in the last year that we learned about ourselves, about prospects, about the industry at large. And starting May 4th, we're going to start to see them put into play again. And, uh, you know, one great thing about minor league baseball and sports in general is just when you think you, you know something about how something's going to go, it takes a left turn. So every week we're learning new things, whether it's a pitcher picks up a new breaking ball or actually learned how to throw a change up over the winter or you know, all of a sudden, the guy you thought had no power is elevating the ball and hits 20 home runs. Uh, it's just those opportunities to learn that I'm looking forward to most. And we're going to have a lot of opportunities to learn with a new structure and all that. But once that first pitch is thrown, that's instantly new information that we didn't have before. And I can't wait for that moment. I can't stress that enough. One of the things that was toughest about 2020 is, you know, we did get some baseball. We got a chance to talk about some prospects. But, Ben, for so much of what we discussed with you, the business side, the promotion side, uh, it was it was heartbreaking in a lot of ways. I mean, seeing minor league staffs that were gutted um, because teams were obviously not bringing in crowds, didn't have revenue, weren't uh, able to, to keep everyone on staff for an entire, um, you know, extended, extremely extended off season. We didn't get promos. We didn't get all those business items that we get to ordinarily discuss. Um, for you, for this year and beyond, what are the things that are most exciting to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I could echo in a lot of ways what Sam said. And so for the sake of, you know, not being redundant, I, I will say that, uh, you know, I think a lot of what he said resonates for me as well. Um, it just goes without saying being in a ballpark will feel a lot more special than uh, it really ever has before when you, when you take a full year off. And uh, I think there'll be that sense of gratitude, obviously on top of the pandemic, it was, you know, a, a difficult and transitional time for minor league baseball with the, the reorganization and less teams or, um, you know, less teams that are affiliated and uh, you know, some of the teams and leagues being, you know, some are collegiate and some going into the partner partner league landscape and some starting their own in-house leagues, you know, it's a, it's a lot to make sense of. And, um, you know, it was spurred a wide range of emotion because it involved, it affected a lot of different people in different ways. And, um, it's a lot to make sense of. So being with the situation, what it is, I I'm, I'm going forward now with positivity that to think that this reorganization can also create new ways to cover the minor league, to cover minor league baseball, um, and to think creatively about ways we could do things, not just on the podcast, but um, you know, with the writing and, and uh, with potential other opportunities just throughout the media landscape is how can we tell the story of minor league baseball the best? We're entering a new era in minor league baseball. And I think now more than ever, it's important to tell the story really well, to make sense of it, to explain it, uh, to bring new people on board, to do our best to keep people from uh, jumping off the ship if they uh, you know, have, have issues with the way things have gone down. It's, uh, there's a lot to dissect and unpack and however you want to put it. And, um, you know, there's a lot to work out, you know, for us just in, as individuals with, you know, how we're going forward right now as well. But I think big picture, it's a, it's a, in addition just to the joy of baseball coming back, it's also a, I, I look at this as a situation of large opportunity to, um, you know, bring minor league baseball coverage into a new era as well and to do our best to do it and to, 
you know, look back at this time as, you know, often transitions are difficult. And this has been difficult in a lot of ways to, again, with the reorganization of minor league baseball and the pandemic, that's a double whammy of unprecedented proportions. Um, but I think that it's also maybe brings opportunity. And um, I think we owe it to everyone who loves minor league baseball, who works in minor league baseball, and who is potentially going to be a minor league baseball fan, um, you know, to find ways to bring it to as many people as possible with as much passion, enthusiasm, and knowledge as possible. Well, there are not uh, any human beings on the planet who I would rather be doing this show with. And you guys are the the absolute best. Sam, I love what you said where it, you know, from week to week, it really just gets to be talking about minor league baseball, something that we love with our friends. And I feel really fortunate to have been able to do that now for uh, six years and for 300 episodes, which means also, by the way, that we've only missed how many weeks are over? 300. There's only like 312 weeks over six years. Right. So that means we've only taken those holiday weeks off. We're very dedicated is what I'm saying. Yes. Yes. I mean, the fact that, you know, we take some weeks off here and there for, you know, vacations or holidays or, you know, family emergencies or something like that. But um, we, do, we don't take off seasons off. No, we really don't. Even last year, the, the pandemic hit. And then we immediately had an episode the next week with Christian Robinson. <laughs> Just being like, hey, man, how are you? You know, like, the, yeah. There's still so much to talk about, and every week I think about like, well, what are we going to talk about in January and February and all that? Like, what are we going to talk about next week? And we always have something. And it's not just us being like, oh, we pull a rabbit out of a hat. It's that minor league baseball provides us these stories. Right. There is always something coming out, and I don't mean minor league baseball like the big entity that is tied in with major league baseball. I just mean the industry itself, the sport itself. There is always something to talk about. Um, and yeah, that's how, that's how you get through six years and, and hit 300 episodes without missing too many. Well, you guys are the best. And, uh, Sam, tell us about what we're going to hear with Max Meyer coming up next. Yeah. So, um, Max Meyer, one of the biggest prospects that we've had that we have not yet talked to for obvious reasons. He was the third overall pick in last year's draft. Uh, he's currently ranked by MLB pipeline is the number 28 overall prospect. I uh, got to talk to him from Miami Marlins camp where he did not pitch in a Grapefruit League game. Uh, the Marlins were very open about that. They didn't want him ramping up too quickly in his first spring training. So we get into that decision. We get into what it is like to be in spring training camp for the first time. And also we get into a ton about his background coming from Minnesota. Um, and also a little bit of a hockey talk as well. So this is me speaking with number 28 overall prospect, Max Mine. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's goforward.com, goforward.com. 
Well, we're very pleased to be joined on the show before the show uh, by number 28 overall prospect, Marlins right-hander, Max Meyer. Max, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thanks so much for doing this. And, and we're talking to you from Marlins camp right now. You've got People can't see this, but you've got the backdrop behind you. This feels very official. Your first spring training camp. How have things gone for you so far uh, in your first spring training? Uh, it's been really good so far. I'm um, just going out there every day, building relationships with uh, my teammates. Um, my arm feels really good right now. Um, I'm just getting built up here uh, for for wherever wherever I start. And, you know, I couldn't be happier with uh, my time so far. Yeah, when you say you're getting built up, one thing about the spring for you is that you didn't feature in Grapefruit League play. The Marlins were very clear about that from the from the beginning. I remember Don Mattingly even brought that up. Um, so where are you right now in your progression? Like, what what are your daily workouts like right now? Um, I'm on the six day throw schedule. Um, so I'll throw today. I actually just threw and it was two innings of 20 pitches. So then next time will probably be three innings of probably 15 pitches and, you know, we're just kind of getting built up so I can get out there hopefully in my first game and throw about five or six, seven innings. Cool. And, and when you are throwing only like 20 pitches like that, um, how much are you moving around your stuff or is it literally just focusing on command at this point? Like how much do you try to mix in different pitches? Yeah, I'm definitely trying to accomplish something each day. So, you know, like today I went out there and I wanted to, um, get my change up over the plate for strikes and, um, you know, some counts that I normally wouldn't use that change up. I was throwing it in maybe like one Oh, two Oh, I'd get that over for a strike. So it's just working on stuff every day. Um, cause you know, this is the best time you can, um, work on your stuff. So, you know, it's nice just having live ABs, uh, against, uh, your teammates. Hmm. And when you are talking about working on, on that stuff, um, what do you look like, look at? in terms of measuring progress? Are you somebody who's going back to the Rapsodo data and seeing how it's progressing that way? Are you feel, are you looking at how hitters are reacting? Like, what do you rely on most to see how things are progressing in terms of your pitches? Um, it's definitely feel for me. Um, you know, you can just tell those days that your body's all synced up and you're throwing the ball exactly where you want to throw it. And, you know, sometimes when you're not, you can look, go back and look at the footage and see what you're doing. Are your hands breaking a little later? But, you know, it's definitely all for me. Um, you know, I'll talk to pitching coaches here, too, after see what if they saw anything. But, yeah, I, I just like getting out there and, you know, feeling it out. And like we said, this is your first spring training, but it's not your first time in Jupiter. You got some time last year at the alt site and instructs. But it is a little different to be around the major league team every day like this. So what has been the most eye-opening experience of these first couple of weeks in camp? Um, you know, just sharing the locker room with these guys, you know, Sandy, Sixto, Rojas, and, you know, they actually, we started a little captain's camp, which a lot of young prospects are in, and we got an opportunity to listen to, you know, what Maggie has to say and what Sandy has to say, and, you know, they have a lot to say about what they wish they would have done when their careers just uh, started, so it's been, it's been awesome talking to these guys, and um, at the beginning, facing some of these hitters and uh, seeing, you know, how your stuff compares to them. Yeah, and I know that captain's camp is something that a lot of this Marlins regime right now came over from the Yankees, obviously, with Derek Jeter, and that's something they've brought over. Um, so in, in those discussions then, especially with Mattingly, uh, what is what was your takeaway? Like, what was something he said? This is something I wish I'd done that you should do now. 
Um, you know, a, a couple of good points, you know, that Mickey has to say, you know, he, he leads a great presentation and, um, you know, it's all about finding, there's a lot of checkpoints, but what stood out to me was, you know, developing that routine and, you know, a lot of days you're going to struggle and a lot of days you're going to do well. You can't get too high. You can't get too low. You just got to keep, you know, staying consistent, finding that routine that's going to get you by day to day and uh, finding that motivation to what, what keeps you going um, throughout your career. And one thing about this spring too, in your workouts, one thing Mattingly said a couple of weeks ago when he said you weren't going to be playing in grapefruit league play, he said he di didn't want you coming out trying to do too much and trying to throw a hundred out of the gate. So when you are throwing right now, are you at a specific percentage? Like what velo are you trying to throw when you do get in those side sessions? Um, I mean, when it doesn't matter where I'm going to play or where I'm going to throw at, what type of game I'm going to give it 100%. Um, but obviously me working on the backfields, I can work on some more stuff that I wouldn't normally, you know, want to do in the game. Like if I'm out there, you know, I, I just – I'd fall in love with, I guess, my two pitches, my fastball and slider, if I'm throwing in the uh, grapefruit games. But, you know, back on the backfields, I can work on that changeup and, you know, work on my command a little more. So um, I think uh, that's why I haven't pitched in the game so far. Gotcha. Yeah, and I, I want to touch on that, your stuff, particularly the slider and the changeup, but we'll do that in a little bit. First, I want to jump back a few years, actually. Um, coming out of high school, coming out of Minnesota high school, from what I've read, you only had a couple of D1 offers. What type of pitcher were you coming out of high school? Um, honestly, like, I wasn't really a pitcher. I was just a guy kind of that could fill up the zone. And, you know, Minnesota high school baseball, some may think it's not, like, you know, that competitive. But, you know, I'd just be going out there and just fill up the zone, let myself play. Um, haven't really thought about pitching too much, just attack the guys and uh, get quick out so we can go home earlier. Or, or, <laughs> but, uh yeah, I mean, maybe that's why I didn't uh, have that many offers out of college, but, I mean, it all worked out, I guess. Yeah, and, and when you did start college, you were initially a closer uh, with the Gophers. Um, what did that do for you as a pitcher to, to work in those situations? I mean, they were high leverage. Obviously, you had, I think, 15-plus saves uh, as a freshman, which is a big deal. But what did that experience do for you and set you on a route that eventually took you to the third overall pick? Yeah, I mean, I think it was great that I started out a closer because, uh, like, in high school, like I said, I was just the kind of guy that let my stuff play over the plate, you know, two power pitches, and they were just kind of easing me in, I guess, by putting me in that closer role to get me ready to start for the next season. So, I mean, and I don't, you know, going out in the ninth inning, I'm not going to, you know, think about it too much. I just go out there and, you know, play the game. It's, it's all for fun around here for me. Um, so it was uh, – I mean, yeah, it was fun closing the first year and getting ready to start the next. So was it that first year as a closer in which you really felt like, okay, now this is a craft. This is something that could potentially be my career. Um, I've honestly never really felt like that, to be honest. Like, I'm, I'm just working, getting better day to day. There hasn't been a point yet. I feel like it's going to start to happen that I'm going to start, you know, diving a lot deeper into stuff that, um, is going to help me have a long, successful career. So what were your expectations even going into last year, put aside the pandemic-shortened season, which you still did very well in, obviously, but going into your junior year, you had a couple of stints with Team USA. Um, what were your expectations for the draft going into you know spring of 2020? 
Uh, nothing crazy. I was just expecting our team to do really well for the Gophers and, you know, get a lot of wins whenever I'm out there. I felt like the team needed me to get a win. So I was just competing for the guys out there and trying to throw my stuff over the plate and blow the hitters up pretty much. Yeah, right. And one thing about that that allows you to do that is your wipeout slider. A lot of people were saying it was the best slider in the draft. It, it might be major league ready at this point. But again, a kid coming from Minnesota high school, like I, I come from Massachusetts. I know what cold weather athletes go through throwing in gyms and stuff. You don't get the same advantages of guys from Florida and Texas. So when did the slider feel like a really plus plus pitch to you? Like how did that pitch develop in your time, both at home and in college? Um, ever since I was young, I was able to spin the ball uh, whenever I started throwing a breaker. I'm not sure what year that was, but I could always spin it and throw it in the zone. And um, so it's never really been a problem for me. Um, I've changed my grip a couple times, maybe three times, twice throughout college, you know, whenever I felt like it was starting to die off a little bit. But, you know, I've always been able to spin it. And I feel like if you can spin it, if you're a guy that can spin it, you'll just naturally have it for, for kind of your whole life. And what makes you naturally able to spin it? Like what, what did you realize you were doing that other guys weren't? Mm, probably not thinking about it too much. Uh, <laughs> I'm the guy that's going to go out there and you know, worry about my mechanics and all that stuff and worry if it goes over the plate, I'm just going to throw that thing. Gotcha. And, uh, and the changeup as well, it, it felt like, you know, changeup is always something that we talk about with young pitchers. It's something they need to be a starter for sure. It sounds like the Marlins were pleasantly surprised at the development of your changeup. Where do you feel like it's gone in the last few years? I feel like it's, you know, I feel like all three of my pitches are my best pitches. Like I feel so good with my changeup, my fastball and slider right now that, you know, I don't, I can't rank one of one over the other just because I'm good with them. And, you know, maybe I'll start messing around with the fourth one, but I mean, I feel really good about all my three right now. And what about the changeup makes you feel good about it? Um, I've been able to just start dotting it for strikes. And if I need to try doing an O2 change, you know, I can bury an O2 change. But like when I went out there today, I threw about eight or 10 over that were strikes. Some, you know, swung over the top and I just feel good. It feels good coming out of my hand and you know, I'm feeling good with it. Hmm. And when you do identify something with it, you mentioned command of it, being able to throw it for strikes and exactly where you want it. But in terms of separation, in terms of all that, like, what do you, how do you define a good changeup? Um, I guess I'll let the pitching coaches kind of define a good change up for me. If they tell me if it looks good, does it feel good? And I'll say, yeah, all right, keep throwing it. But <laughs> uh, all that stuff, I'll let uh, them take care of it for me. Fair enough. And when you do get instruction from that, from coaches, whether it was during your days in high school or at Minnesota or now in, in the pros, do you like keep a notebook? Like how do you keep track of all this stuff? Or are you just like muscle memory realize that felt like a good change of need to do that again. Yeah, pretty much muscle memory. I'll just, you know, make those little adjustments that they see. And, you know, if it feels good, then keep doing it. If it feels kind of sloppy, you know, kind of tinker with it a little bit with my own stuff. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's all feel for me. So, yeah. Fair enough. And, uh, you know, going back to, to last June, uh, because of the shortened pandemic or the pandemic shortened season, um, what was it like going into draft night? I know you said you didn't really have many expectations going into the year, but you did strike out uh, 46 batters in 27 and two thirds innings. You were showing elite stuff. A lot of people thought you had a chance to be a top 10 pick. So what were your expectations going into the night and what were you trying to do to either keep calm or, or like celebrate the night? 
Um, it was good that I had my family there to kind of calm me down a little bit, but you know, I don't think I really ate that whole day until I draft, but I mean, it's, it's definitely a little nerve wracking because it's, it's like, that was the best day of my life pretty much. And, uh, cause it started off my career that, you know, could, could last a while. So that was one of the most exciting nights I've ever had. And, um, I'm just great. I got to spend it with my family. And at what point did it feel real? Was it hearing your name? Was it getting a text from your agent? Like what, at one point did you just kind of settle in and be like, I'm officially a top three pick and a pro player. Um, I feel like just being here right now, um, kind of, you know, it, does, it never really settles in, but you know, when you come out here every day with all these guys, you know, putting on the Miami Marlins Jersey, then you kind of think about it like, damn, this is, this is a real life and I'm living my dream. And how much about the Marlins did you know prior to the draft and, and how much have you learned in, you know, basically nine months since? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot to take in. Um, I'm starting to get used to the feel around here. Um, Cause I mean, it's just, it's just fun getting out there and, you know, learning the guys and what they have and building relationships with them. So it's just been fun being around here. Is there anybody you've developed a particular relationship with in terms of gravitating towards, I mean, like, again, you had time at the alt site and instructs. It's mm -hmm. a little different in COVID clubhouse isn't as full as it could be, but uh, anybody in particular you developed a relationship with here in the last few months? Yeah. I mean, all the draft guys this year, the past year, the one before, cause I kind of got to spend a time with them in instructs. I mean, I feel like I've built a lot of, you know, relationships, good friends, a lot of good friends on this team that you can go out and hang out with. Um, so it's been fun. It's been fun. And how easy or how much easier did it make it to watch, you know, that postseason run last year? You mentioned Sixo Sanchez, still technically a prospect like yourself, get postseason run. A lot of the prospects got postseason run last year. How much easier does it was it to watch that and be able to plug yourself in potentially a year or two down the line? Yeah, I mean, it fires me up and it fires everyone who, you know, just got drafted and wants to be there up because, you know, that's the, that's the dream, compete for uh, compete in the playoffs and get to the World Series. So uh, you can't get much better than that. Has there been anything surprising about the Marlins that you definitely didn't know, you know, again, last June that you know now? Nah, I mean, a lot of Spanish classes that I'm going to have to take here <laughs> like and with uh, languages. So we'll have to see how that goes. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and one thing I wanted to touch on with you being – you know, a Minnesota kid, this feels like a cliche, but for you, it is true. You do have a hockey background. Even in your Twitter bio, it says silky mitts. First off, I know that's like a hockey reference, but why did you put that in there? Um, all my boys back home used to call me that just because I have uh, the nicest hands around uh, when I was, uh, you know, my puck control back in the day. And, you know, I just have great hands. So uh, they call me that silky mitts. There you go. I, I know you were a forward. Was there any chance you were going to go? play college hockey or did you always know baseball was the route for you? Uh, I can't remember when I committed to baseball, but I committed my sophomore, junior or something like that. So, you know, it was hockey was just all fun, uh, all fun and games kind of back then. And it was just fun to get out on the ice and, you know, all my teammates loved every one of them and uh, always get back out there in the off season and play a uh, pond hockey with them. So it's been, it's been fun. Yeah. What was it like getting, going out there uh, this off season and playing pond hockey? Uh, it was you know, even more riding on that arm. I imagined like trying to tell everybody, do not touch me on the right side, please. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely eased off on me. They didn't play the body too much on me, but 
you know, it was fun getting out on the ice and taking it easy, of course. And, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's just been fun getting back home and seeing all those guys. If you could give yourself a hockey comp, like somebody you tried to model your game after, who would that be? I'd probably say Pavel Datsuk. Okay. Um, nasty hands, a little bit of a sniper. Um, and then, yeah, a little physical. Yeah, no, if you want to talk about silky mitts, I think Datsuk fits that okay. for sure. <laughs> And you mentioned before you have to go through language lessons right now, um, being part of Miami. But as somebody, again, who has spent a lot of time now in, in South Florida, being a Minnesota kid, what is the biggest transition you've needed? Um, those two spots? You know, it's just getting used to the weather down here um, for sure is the biggest transition. Because, um, you know, I remember the first time I came out here and, ATS and instructs and I'm dying out here because it's just so hot out and I'm not used to like that humidity, but you know, I definitely got to, I'm, I'm more used to that now. So good. Try how do you get, how do you get used to that? Is that just as simple as drinking a lot? Like what, how yeah, do you just handle that transition? Just being out there every day and um, making sure you got your water, I guess. And you'll, you'll get used to the heat here when you've been around it uh, for so long. Gotcha. Gotcha. And we've talked about where you're projecting to, to get, your amount of innings by the opening of May when the minor league season begins. But as you're looking forward here uh, at 2021, it's going to be your first taste in the minors. Unfortunately, you didn't get that last year, but you got plenty of time at Instructs and, and the ATS. But what do you project forward for 2021? When you look at where you want to be and where you want to go, uh, how do you kind of project that forward? Um, I just want to go out there and find a routine, um, find a team or get placed on a team and, um, to start dominating hitters and see where that takes me. And when you want to dominate hitters, are you just going to come straight with velocity or are you going to start mixing? Like, how do you work through a start? I don't want, I know you don't want to give away your entire scouting report, but when you are introducing yourself to a new level or getting to see hitters for the first time, how do you go after that? Um, a little bit of everything. I mean, you just got to feel out the game. Uh, baseball's, you know, honestly, 100% of mind game. So uh, if I'm confident up there, you know, I'm confident that I'll have uh, good results. And when you guys are in the clubhouse and you're chatting with, you know, draft picks from last year, draft picks from two years ago, in that that group that you're, like you said before, starting to develop relationships with, how much do you guys talk about, like, being the future of Miami? Because this is a deep farm system. You guys are clearly the future of the fish. Um, but how much do you guys feel like kind of the weight of carrying the franchise forward? Um. We definitely don't really talk about it, but I can tell that everyone in the room knows it and we're all here to work hard and we're here to win very soon. All right. All right, Max, well, we'll end on this one. Um, this is actually our 300th episode of the podcast. Um, we've been doing this for a little while now. We started in March, 2015. So my question is to you, that was six years ago, you were just turning 16, but what were you doing in March of 2015? Mm -hmm. um, I was probably chilling at home with uh, with all the boys over, playing a little pickup basketball in my backyard. There you go. Were you guys, are you, when do you guys start driving in Minnesota? What's the legal uh, driving limit? For 15 me? for permit, 16 for by yourself. Oh, man. I'm very jealous of those those Midwestern places where you guys can start earlier <laughs> than the rest of us. Yeah. What was your first car? I'll put it that way. Uh, 2006 Hail Damage Civic. <laughs> <laughs> Got me around. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, Max Meyer, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. 
Um, all the best going forward here in the remainder of spring training and the start of the minor league season to come. I'm sure we'll catch you down the line, but thanks again for doing this. Yep, thanks for having me. This is our final segment for the 300th episode of the show before the show. And uh, it's strange that we're at the end of the show. But we're going to talk about some news right now uh, as we get closer and closer to the conclusion of major league spring training, minor league spring training set to go next month. Um, there will be alternate sites, a topic that we covered last week uh, in which prospects and players who were not on the opening day roster on the major league side will still be in action. Some of those alternate sites will be at spring training facilities. Some will be at minor league ballpark. Some will be kind of a combination of the major league ballpark and another site in a given city when the team is on the road, all that kind of stuff. It's all still being ironed out, but uh, we are getting close to major league opening day, which is just a couple of weeks away. And uh, Sam, as we get there we're starting to get these stories we're in such a unique spot right now as it pertains to the prospect landscape with players who may be tested uh way earlier than we would have thought we saw a lot of that last year with guys who uh got time on major league rosters whether it was due to injuries or covid situations or um you know the fact there was no major no minor league season so they wanted to see guys in game action whatever was uh the case last year there are already conversations. I know we had a story the other day. Uh, the Kansas City Royals have said they are open-minded potentially to somebody like Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, being on the major league roster to start the season. Now, I would be shocked if that happened. He was the second overall pick in 2019. He's 20 years old. But there are guys making big impressions. Um, right now, as you evaluate what prospects have been doing in the uh, first few weeks of spring training, who stands out as a potential surprise to make an opening day roster to you? Well, I am glad that you brought up Bobby Witt Jr. Just because I think everybody who sees him realizes how talented he is right now. I mean, we were getting reports coming out of the alt site last year um, that he was hanging with the big boys. Uh, you know, the, the Royals, they made their alt site, I think, Kaufman Stadium. Um, so everybody was kind of around. They weren't obviously mingling with the major league team, but it was a major league environment. And this was a guy who had only played in the AZL, hadn't really done that well. We talked about it with him. Uh, when we talked to him over this, I think it was over the summer last year, but it was in 2020, we had him on the show. Um, but he was hanging with everybody. Like he, he was putting up good exit velos. He was uh, playing well at shortstop. It's never been a doubt that he could play shortstop. And now all of a sudden he's playing in spring and hitting 484 foot bombs. Like it's not at the point right now with Bobby Wood Jr. where you could say like, oh, he's getting lucky. Like don't read too much in his, into his spring stats. I would still caution that. But hitting a ball 484 feet speaks to an ability that you have that others don't, you know, like it's still something that is in your chamber to use. Now, I don't think he's going to make the opening day roster, but one thing I will point out about him and the Royals, the Royals have been aggressive at sending guys to the majors. They did it last year. Brady Singer, I think, started the second game of the season. It was either the second or third, but I think it was the second game of the season. After we all thought, okay, he's going to get a little bit of time at the alt site. Maybe he'll get called up in the second half. No, they, they said, like, listen, this guy's ready. We're going to use him uh, pretty quickly. Chris Bubich, another guy who had been on the show before, uh, led the minor leagues in strikeouts two years ago, but maybe wasn't the prospect that Brady Singer was or Daniel Lynch, but they saw enough out of him to, to bring him up quickly. Bobby Wood Jr. is a more extreme case, but when you have, like, Jeff Passan of ESPN writing about it as a legit opportunity for him this year. It, it, we can't slag it off until they say he's officially going to open at the alt site. So we'll see. I, I, I would not bet 
that he's going to make the roster, but it is certainly fun to talk about. And I do think that we could get in a, a spot where he sees a lot of the season in the major leagues based off what he's showing this spring. And it's not just some small numbers. It's like actual really good performance against good competition. Uh, a couple other names I want to throw out real quick. I think I talked about him on the show before in terms of what he's doing, but Taylor Trammell uh, with the Seattle Mariners, big story of the Mariners spring obviously is Jared Kelnick and what he's been able to do last year at the alt site. And there's the discussion of the, Kevin Mather, whatever the former president's name was, uh, his comments about Kelnick probably being sent down because of his contract and refusal to sign a contract and how bad that looked. But Kelnick has also gone down with a knee issue. And Taylor Trammell, I don't want to say he's taken advantage, but he has had a solid spring. And he's somebody who needed one. Uh, this is somebody who's been traded twice. This is his first spring with Seattle. He needs to make an impression. Kyle Lewis is in that outfield. Jared Kelnick's going to be in that outfield pretty shortly. Julio Rodriguez is also in that system and, and is barreling up the, the ranks. Um, Mitch Hanniger's coming back. I mean, it's a chance for it to, to be a really loaded Seattle outfield. And Taylor Jamel, by all accounts, is having a solid spring uh, so far this year. He's uh, got a 538 slugging percentage. He's got an OPS of 883. This isn't somebody who necessarily was a big-time slugger before. It's still not necessarily there, but he's got one homer and four doubles in 29 plate appearances. So he is making an impact. And he's somebody who we've always thought was probably going to be stuck to left field. That's where the opening is right now. So maybe you get an opportunity as Kelnick continues to come back from the knee. And it sounds like he's going to play in games pretty shortly. Um, but if he needs a little bit more time to get ready, Tramel could take that opportunity and maybe he runs with it. Maybe we're looking at uh, you know, maybe one of them need, needs to move to right at some point. Who knows? Uh, but keep an eye on Taylor Trammell. Maybe he's the Seattle Mariners opening day left fielder. We'll keep an eye on that one. And then one other name, speaking of outfielders, Elliot Ramos. Uh, this week was a big week for cutting players. And I don't mean that cutting by release. And I mean like sending down to the minor league camp. Or this week uh, was the deadline to option players or else they get moved uh, if they suffer an injury, they have to move to the major league injured list, um, which is a big consideration for clubs. Like you can send them down and it's not going to affect service time. But if they were to get injured now and they are on the 40 man roster, you move them to the IL, they have to stay on the major league IL. So there were a lot of guys getting option this week. Um, if a guy was reassigned, he can come back and play in grapefruit league or cactus league play. That's not really effective. We saw Wander Franco come back and play for the Rays after he had technically been reassigned. But being optioned is another story. Elliot Ramos survived that first round. He has not been optioned yet. Um, so the reason for that being, again, he's somebody who is hitting 385 with a 769 slugging percentage. Now that's only over 27 plate appearances, but he's got three home runs. Ramos, we always thought power was in the tank for him. He, it hadn't truly really shown it up yet, at least in terms of it being a plus tool, but it certainly is now. Uh, and the Giants are trying to figure out where they want to be. They did send down Joey Bart, who already has major league time. They have not done that with Ramos yet. So keep an eye on that. I don't think he's going to start the year in the majors. Um, but the fact that they're holding on to him for a little bit while longer and want to get a few extra looks means we could see him at, on the grass in San Francisco on opening day. So just keep an eye on the, those two situations, uh, Elliot Ramos and Taylor Trammell and Always keep a, an eye on Bobby Witt Jr. because who knows, maybe the next home will go 500 feet.
We are getting so close to baseball again, and uh, pretty fun to be able to talk about it with just a couple weeks between now and Major League Opening Day. Um, going to say goodbye for this week's episode of the show before the show, episode number 300, and uh, a massive thanks to everyone across the landscape at, uh, at MILB.com and uh, with Minor League Baseball and uh, everyone who has been there to kind of help us along through this from Jake Siner, our original uh, co-host, Brendan DeRochers, who was sort of the one who uh, got this ball rolling back in 2014, Allison Creekmore, Dan Marinas, uh, Darren Smith, Paige Schechter, our editors, everybody, you know, our writers who have come on so often from uh, Josh Jackson and Kelsey Hennigan and Mike Lavalone and Rob Terranova and uh, even the writers who have moved on, Katie Wu and Andrew Batterferano and Joe Bloss and Gerard Gilberto and uh, who else? Who am I missing? A ton of people I'm missing. Mike Avalone. Mike Avalone. I think I said Mike, didn't I? Did you say Mike Avalone? Okay. I think I said Mike. I, Mike, if I didn't say you, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, but we just have such a great crew, uh, you know, Ben, the invaluable uh, encyclopedic resource that he is for us from week to week uh, and getting to work with one of the smartest young dudes in all of baseball in Samuel P. Dykstra. Uh, Sam, I love you, man. It's been, uh, I don't know how many we've done together, but it's got to be over. I feel like Jake was like 20 some episodes. You and I are probably like almost 280. I mean, I can safely say it's been the majority. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> easily the majority. Easily the majority. I think that's how math works. So what um, I'm saying is we'll just do this again when it's me and you, when it's our 300th. Then we'll just do another yes. very self-indulgent. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll I, I should say, because like you're the one reading off all the, the lists here, and you've been the point man at the beginning of the episode. So we didn't really give you a chance <laughs> to say any of this stuff. But like the great thing about this, for anybody listening at home, and I'm sure you understand this because you listen to them week in and week out, but like Tyler is the perfect person to lead this podcast. And I mean that whole, you know, through and through because the idea of a knowing enough about minor league baseball uh, to ask pointed questions, not only of me and Ben, but of our guests when we have them on, uh, but also understanding how a show works, how it's supposed to be directed. How you're supposed to open a show. How you're supposed to close a show. How you're supposed to produce a show. Uh, you know, the idea of, oh, this is where breaks go and, and this is how we keep things moving. Like, I wouldn't be able to do that by any means. Uh, and just bringing a warm presence each week and making this fun and being, making this something I want to do and making it something Ben wants to do and making it something that people want to listen to is really difficult. It really is. I can't stress that enough. And, you know, Tyler is the engine that makes this go in every which way. Um, so... I've been saying all this like into my mic and not looking at the camera because I don't want to make eye contact with you as I say all this. Um, but it's all everything I've said to you before. And I hope you feel it every week uh, and not just episode 300, but it's implicit in everything we do. Uh, how much joy we bring to this, how much joy it, it is to talk to you guys at home um, and how much fun we have. Well, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. And, uh, and yeah, above all, we appreciate all of you who have tuned in. Um, you know, Sam mentioned last year when the pandemic started and we immediately came back with an episode. And the thing that I think continued to stun us is that every month after that, for quite some time, our listenership continued to increase and continue to increase and continue to increase. And, uh, you know, the community that we've been able to form and interact with. And um, yes, to John, who is the one who submitted the, the question, who is your favorite listener? Uh, yes, John, you're among them. Um, <laughs> he's, he's a great one. He's one of the greatest. Um, it's just been so neat 
to uh, to have this opportunity to have this platform for so long. And uh, I'm here's to, you know, doing a, a ton more of these and calculating just how many Sam has done. So then we can do this again at episode 300 for the two of us. It'll be great. That's fine. I mean, if you want to, you know, we always have the show before the show, before the show. So we can. All That's true. Just... That is true. That's what we call our game planning sessions. Our production sessions are the show before the show before the show. Um, so for uh, this week's 300th episode of the show before the show, I shudder to think how many hours of my life I've spent recording and <laughs> editing and podcast producing. Uh, but it's, it's fun stuff. It's all great stuff. And we cannot thank all of you enough for all of your support over the last six years. Uh, for Benjamin Hill earlier uh, and for Sam Dykstra, I am Tyler Ma. We'll talk to you next week for episode 301.